0: Um, the barrio assemblies and these like you know grassroots neighborhood organizations. A lot of these were sponsored by the church.
1: What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? You're um, always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to the Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff. I am your Canadian Catholic communist poetry reader.
0: <laughs> now matt bernico just uh just a yankee onlooker from the, <laughs> from the united states over here wishing wishing i could get some of that over here
1: yeah well extremely attainable uh you too could come here and uh read it on canadian soil um in case you missed uh last week's episode we are starting in on an arc exploring poetry christianity and revolutionary politics uh, and all these references to Canada will make more sense in just a minute. Uh, to kick things off, <laughs> last week we talked about Ernesto Cardenal's exteriorismo aesthetic, uh, a really specific idea about what poetry is, what it should be, and what it does, uh, and the role that poetry played in the Nicaraguan Revolution. Really fun stuff. Cardinal, still my hero. Uh, but this week, we are going to take a look at the life and work of the most famous Canadian communist Catholic poet, joe wallace extremely competitive category (laughs) and he won (laughs)
0: that's right the yeah the key to being the most famous of anything is picking a niche that's very easy to be recognized in (laughs) for example the magnificent is clearly clearly the most famous uh christian marxist podcast out there because (laughs) you know not a lot of uh competition there is some there is some
1: faith and capital they're out there
0: that's true. That's true. Uh, going yeah.
1: for our number one spot. Uh, but don't worry, uh, we're still out in front. Maybe
0: more popular. I haven't checked the stack. <laughs> I, I have no idea.
1: <laughs> that would be fine. That would be just fine.
0: Uh, I'm okay being number two. Yeah. Uh,
1: Joe Wallace is a really interesting person uh, because especially basically nobody knows who he is in the West. But he was like one of the most famous Canadian poets in the Soviet Union and in the People's Republic of China. (laughs) He, to this day, is recognized as a famous Canadian poet there, there are you can look up like sculptures of him and busts of him made by Soviet artists. It's really wild. But if you say Joe Wallace in Canada, nobody knows who the heck you're talking about, uh, which is really quite fascinating. Um, I learned about him from talking to an older member of the Communist Party of Canada who found out that I was Catholic, and he said, "Well, surely you haven't heard of this person, but you should." <laughs> so he was right. <laughs> um, to get ready for this episode, we read uh, a really neat article called "The Canadian Worker Poet." The life and writings of joe wallace by james doyle Uh, and we also read a very out of print collection of joe wallace's work titled joe wallace poems it's an anthology that i bought from the communist party of canada they still have like three copies so get them while they're hot (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, we want to explore a little bit of wallace's life and biography and also some uh, some of his poetry to try to draw out maybe some different ideas that he has about aesthetics, very different from Cardinal, for example, Um, and also think a little bit more about the intersection between Christianity and poetry and radical politics. So we'll start on that in a minute, but uh, before we get there, as always, Matt, I've heard you've been hard at work, in the Reddit minds, and uh, you've come up with a gem or two. Uh, What do you have for us today?
0: That's right. Yeah, I've got two of them, and they're just both so... Uh, as, gem, as gems go, just beautiful, radiant. stunning. Uh, radiant. Semi-precious, for sure. All right. Uh, so the first one comes from not reddit.com slash or slash Christianity, but it comes from reddit.com slash or slash true Christian. Mm-hmm. So a little bit truer, a little bit more, uh, more Christian like than good the rest. Stuff. So here, yeah, yeah, it's the good stuff. This is where all the real good youth group boys go to post their posts. Um, okay, so here it is um it's posted five hours ago so it's just steaming hot (laughs) still yeah all right uh is everyone naked in heaven (laughs) god created adam and eve without clothes sin led them to wear Mm -hmm. clothes so will jesus come back naked will heaven and the new earth be a nudist paradise dean answer this question please we
1: can only hope am i right Uh, A bunch of of naked church ladies uh, and uh, old church men. I don't know. Uh, It doesn't sound like paradise to me, but maybe.
0: Yeah. uh, The thing is, though, that everyone will have uh, new bodies in in the new heavens. That's right. We'll all be... We'll all be slamming tens, you know? (laughs) That's
1: right. Uh, True. That's a great question. I mean, we know from the rapture, for instance, that everybody leaves their clothes right on the ground immediately. So I feel like it's kind of a... That is the
0: first thing I thought about. (laughs) It's a real
1: case closed (laughs) situation here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, okay. A case closed. Everyone in heaven, it'll be... We'll all be naked, but we'll all also look like the entire cast of big brother. (laughs) Just a bunch of very attractive young people without clothes on. That's great. Uh,
1: You know, I don't know why, this probably says more about me than anything else, but uh, I feel, when I think about art, you know, like medieval art and renaissance art, and I think about naked people in the afterlife, I always think of hell. There's all kinds of, like, paintings of hell I can think of with naked people in them, but whenever I think of heaven, I guess I just think of, like, people wearing robes? I don't know. Again, this is probably just saying more about myself, uh, but there you have it. Some psychoanalyst well, could tell us. They're
0: all those. Yeah. They're all those naked babies in heaven, though. You know, they fly, they're flying around. They got the trumpets. Well, yeah,
1: but, the, you know, cherubs are just cherubs. You can't. You can't sexualize a cherub, Matt.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't dare, <laughs> but I'm just saying <laughs> they are naked people.
1: <laughs> True. Fair enough. You got me.
0: Okay. Yeah, I did. Finally <laughs> pulled them over on you. Um, okay. So that was five. That was five hours ago. So steaming hot and fresh. But guess what, though? This one is from 40 minutes Whoa, ago. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I'm really, I'm getting them hot off I the presses. So. Faster. Yeah, they're putting them down. I'm picking them right <laughs> up. So this one's a little bit more difficult, a little bit more challenging uh, for a few different reasons. Okay. So 40 minutes ago, someone asked, my boyfriend said I have a spirit of evil for writing Pokemon fan fiction.
1: <laughs> okay. So mm-hmm.
0: the this user writes, I've been dating a guy for four months and I've tried hard to adapt his lifestyle. (laughs) That's the first mistake. (laughs) I started going to church with him once a week, (laughs) even worse, but he found out that I write Pokemon fan fiction and told me I have a spirit of evil and won't return by texts or phone Mm -hmm. calls anymore. Mm -hmm. So what does he
1: mean by this? (laughs) What can I do about it? (laughs) Dean, what can this person do about it? Oh my gosh. So, okay. First of all, is this still true Christianity or is this regular Christianity? Regular Christianity. Okay, that's a very important decision. So we've, we've switched, yeah. made a jump. The, yeah. Because the analogous true Christian response is, I just dated somebody who writes Pokemon fan fiction, and they have a spirit <laughs> of evil. What should I do? Uh,
0: that's right. That's right, yes. Right.
1: Um, man, what should you do? You should count yourself lucky that this relationship did not drag <laughs> on for a year, and then you felt uh-huh. pressured to agree to a marriage proposal, because that's what happens in Christian communities. That's how I feel. That's
0: right. They're going to give you... They'll give you a promise ring and it'll all be over. You can't, you can't write your fan fiction about Mr. Mime anymore. (laughs) And it's just, you're, you're, uh, you know, uh, secluded to a life of no Pokemon. And that's right. It's worse than dying. Yeah,
1: If you want to know what Ash Ketchum is up to, you better stay out of your imagination. You better go to a, (laughs) a, a Nintendo approved source, like the TV show to find out what's happening there.
0: That's right. But Dean, what would you say if this person really wanted to get back with their boyfriend? Right, right. Like, how how could you overcome, you know, so, like, what if you were a a, a teen relationship counselor? uh, What would you say to these these two uh, star crossovers? Right, I
1: would counsel just deep immersion therapy. The boyfriend needs to be (laughs) surrounded by Pokemon. Uh, It's a good question. Yeah, surrounded by Pokemon. Uh, The TV show has to be on all the time. He's got to want to catch the very best, uh, like, no one ever was (laughs) was <laughs> i messed that up and i could tell as the grammar was being put together in my brain uh but you know what i'm saying he needs to be surrounded by, no, by I think, pokemon and that's the only way to overcome this fear
0: i think that's really good like has he even seen pokemon i you know it's an important question you can't say something satanic if you never even if you've never even gotten into yeah it. that's
1: what i said about the ouija board and here we are um yeah that's true the uh there's a lot of good christian themes in pokemon i think that's the thing he's really missing out on uh you know
0: oh it's full yeah
1: of pikachu is constantly sacrificing himself um like the christ <laughs> for the other pokemon there... in the party
0: <laughs> that's right and there's there's doug trio a pokemon that's three and one that's right i mean come on it's the it doesn't
1: get more trinitarian than doug trio
0: that's the peak right there <laughs> um okay you know, what if instead of instead of Pokemon fan fiction, you made it Christian Pokemon fan fiction? It's mm. like, uh, what if Pikachu got right, saved?
1: Right, right, right. I've heard a Chris Rice song about that.
0: <laughs> I think that we just need to... Uh, all, all of these questions about satanic cartoons all circle back around to Chris they, Rice. Oh, they and always do. What would happen? What would happen if Mr. Mom went to church? What would happen if Doug Trio did take the Eucharist? I don't know. Snorlax, hallelujah. <laughs> the only way we're gonna find out is if if is if all the you know fourteen year olds in the world write fan fiction about it. And you, sorry, fourteen year olds, you got to do it. It's your duty.
1: You got to do it. Uh, well, um, I feel like that's a another good case solved. Uh, Forty minutes. It's hot off the presses. So let's only hope that this gets uh, gets there in the nick of time to save the relationship uh, before it's too late. Um, right. All right. We've done it we've We've emerged from the reddit mines, uh covered in just the worst set that you could imagine, the worst kind of coal um and uh that's a great way to get into some poetry for the working class uh <laughs> oh my God. Um, Here we go, you can't stop it The train is a-rolling We're gonna get to Joe Wallace uh, His biography in a minute But before we do that, uh, I feel like we should start with A poem of his And actually, this sense of humor is good, I think It's a good vibe uh, Because Joe Wallace is a very funny guy Um, So, if last week when we were talking about Ernesto Cardinal There was a kind of There's a certain humor that peeks through um, But it's also very serious He's a very serious poet Doing serious poetic work, etc., Uh, Joe Wallace is kind of the opposite. He's like, uh, I don't know, we'll talk about this in a moment. But he had this idea that if you really want to connect with the working class as a poet, you've got to write some stuff that's very accessible stuff that rhymes stuff that has a a certain rhythm that you could just pick up and, and get. And boy, does he achieve that, <laughs> I think. Um, so this is not the cheesiest one, but it is a good one because it kind of gets the uh, the themes on the table. So, Matt, I'll go ahead and read this and then uh, maybe you can lead us into the biography afterwards. Does that sound like a good way out? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay.
0: Yeah, you, you can read it. I'll do a live react and uh, we'll just kind of get in Great. there. We'll get into the rest of the biography. Perfect.
1: This is our, our unboxing video, unboxing audio of this particular poem. So this poem is called Catholics and Communists it goes like this I know that differences abound the one of faith is most profound but leaving these perforce apart no barrier reef holds heart from heart St. Thomas More to prove my point I bring two famous men in Utopia's author now anoint would be at home with Lenin and lately scanning history's page with eyes grown dim from tears or age this is the vision that I had St. Joan of Arc Stalin Stalingrad <laughs> Snaps Snapping I'm hearing a lot of snaps
0: Yeah uh, Snap, 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 snap Yeah uh, man, it's it's simultaneously very good and also very silly.
1: Yeah. Um, and I love that about it. <laughs> it's a great poem, I think. Uh, it's actually really good. Like, it's really fun uh, because although it is cheesy, that's kind of a part of it, and I think that's great. Uh, but it, it is also a bit profound. Like, there's all these goofy rhyming couplets, and then by the time you get to the end of it, there's this vision of St. Joan of Arc at Stalingrad, and that's such a cool image, right, that he's trying to bring these two parts of himself as a Catholic and a communist together and uh, to sort of imagine a saint um, who is known for participating in you know military events etc uh, all of a sudden also being on the right side of sort of 20th century history as an anti-fascist I think is a really neat uh, vision anyway to sort of close that poem off with
0: yeah it's fun to say the least <laughs>
1: that is well, the least okay. you're right <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's fun. And it's good. I don't know. I'm, I wouldn't know good poetry if it bit in the face. So this could be great. I don't even know. Um. Well, okay. So Joe Wallace has a lot of interesting stuff going on in his life. He has a pretty fascinating life being uh, a communist in Canada um, throughout the sort of 20th century, especially when a lot of, you know, you know when being a communist in Canada was illegal. Um, but in James Doyle's uh, biography of Wallace, he introduces him like this. Joe Wallace's poetry declared Milton Acorn, which is even just too ridiculous of a name.
1: Milton Acorn, also a workers' poet, should be noted.
0: Really? It's no true. way. All right. Okay. I'll I'll try to bracket how funny his name is. <laughs> Joe Wallace's poetry declared Milton Acorn in 1977 was, un, was usually bad, but sometimes totally inspired. <laughs> I agree. 100%. Actually. I feel that way
1: about this podcast, so that's great.
0: Yeah, that's true. It is usually bad, but sometimes totally inspired. <laughs> Um, Okay. The author of five volumes of verse, Wallace was for almost all of his adult life a member of the Communist Party of Canada. He was also a reporter and columnist for several periodicals, including three major Canadian communist newspapers, The Worker, which was published in 1922-1936, The Daily Clarion from 1936-39, to and The Canadian Tribune from 1940-75. to Besides being an active communist, Wallace remained all his life a practicing member of the Roman Catholic Church and the interaction between his religious and political loyalties is evident in much of his writing. So even in that first um, poem, uh, it is extremely evident because it's called Catholics and Communists. <laughs> so right there to bite you in the face. Um, but that's uh, who Joe Wallace is in a nutshell. Um, he wrote usually bad, but sometimes fully totally inspired poetry. He was a communist and a journalist and a Catholic. All of those things in one. It's a
1: lot, but pretty cool it is a lot and pretty cool um i really love joe wallace for a lot of reasons we'll talk about his biography which is extremely wild and fascinating uh he's one of these characters who i think has kind of i don't know he almost like symbolizes many things all at once just by virtue of the the life that he led uh but in many respects he's also an extremely normal dude um you know, he's a, a super committed communist or whatever, but like he separated from his wife at one point in his life. Maybe we'll talk more about this later. Uh, but he decided to remain a bachelor for all of his life in deference to the Catholic Church's teaching about marriage. So, like, <laughs> a really interesting person in how committed he is to both of these things at once. Um, you know, uh, uh, he's all in for communism and he's all in for the Catholic Church in a way that I think is quite fascinating.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think that um, The Bachelor thing ends up being kind of a litmus test for his Catholicism. Meeting. Yeah, that's um, right. It shows that he's sort of serious about it. Not sort of extremely serious about right. it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also interesting because a lot of... It's like a really common... If you read uh, biographies of communists in the United States or Canada... It's actually like almost a joke that a lot of them grow up Roman Catholic because that was a an important sort of base for the working class. Um they grow up Roman Catholic and then eventually they, you know, renounce their faith and they find a new faith in the communist movement or whatever. And the fact that Wallace decided to stay in the faith in his own way is kind of a testament to how important it was because so many other people just, you know, moved on. Um we should talk a little bit about also as we kind of get into his biography here. Basically, why he matters in so as someone would want to write an article about him, let's say. Uh, so he had a pretty strong international importance. Like I said earlier, he was pretty well known in the Soviet Union and China. Uh, and here is how um, Doyle puts it. He says, although Wallace was little known in Canada, except among members of the Communist Party, he was probably the most famous Canadian poet in Eastern Europe and China from the 1950s until well after his death in 1975. This lack of honor in his own country is partly attributable to the same political bias that prompted many people in Canada to ignore Norman Bethune until his fame in China forced him on his country's attention. Uh, a little bit of background there. Maybe Norman Bethune was a Canadian uh, doctor, member of the Communist Party of Canada. He went to this fight in the Spanish Civil War. Well, he served as a doctor there and then went to China during the revolution, served as a doctor there, and was ultimately killed in battle. And he's a, a national hero in China. Like Mao read a poem about him um, here in Toronto. There's a, a statue of Norman Bethune that was funded by uh, Chinese donors, for instance. So he's a huge deal in China, but like nobody knows who that statue is <laughs> in Toronto unless you're a communist. Um, so there's a kind of analogy yep. here that Wallace is uh, uh, kind of similar to that.
0: Yeah, it's well Norman Bethune too, uh in China in, when during, during like the Mao area. well, during the Mao era, um, everyone, all the school kids had to read the essay about Norman Bethune. So it's like, you know, he's a big deal. Right. But uh Joe Wallace too, just not as big of a deal as Norman Bethune. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> if it was a contest.
1: <laughs> uh Bethune also wrote a pretty famous poem actually called Wounds, which you should look up. I don't know. We won't talk about it in this episode i guess but uh if you're craving that canadian communist poetry content uh there's one one more lead um but yeah the point about lewis or wallace uh is really interesting i think that he uh, had this fame in the communist world and in you know eastern europe and china but that fame was not uh enjoyed at all in his home country or country of birth uh so we'll talk about how we got there but um really interesting thing
0: one more quick, quick plug for people who are not famous in North America, but famous in the Soviet Union is Dean Reed. Um, if you guys uh, don't listen to the extremely specific Colorado history podcast, <laughs> Lost Highways, <laughs> you should. Um, one of our friends, Tyler Hill, is part of uh, the show and they made an episode a while back called "Rocker on the Block about this guy named Dean Reed, who was like in Hollywood and was sort of like a. Uh, you know like the archetypal sort of like pop star in the 50s but anyways he didn't he wasn't popular at all in the united states and he like blew up in chile and he moved there and then he just like became a socialist and that's him so anyways i I guess all that to say is illustrate the larger point that um there are all these types of like kind of american and or north american artists who end up like becoming kind of Um, interested in revolutionary politics and then like blowing up (laughs) in those countries, but not the United States. So pretty wild, wild stuff. Yeah.
1: That is a really fantastic episode. Also Uh, it's like a good episode of a podcast uh, in many ways, Um, just like good storytelling, but also a lot of really fun songs by Dean Reed, the, uh, the Elvis uh, slash like early country rock star of the Soviet Union um yeah so back to joe wallace uh maybe we should start a little bit in terms of his biography at the top and we'll do kind of a a kind of extended dive into his life history and then we'll read another poem in a little bit um so he grew up in a working class family he doyle says had an abusive mother and he tried to run away and as a result of trying to run away he got sent to catholic school um there's a great story about that uh which i'll just read here doyle puts it so well He says, when Joe ran away from home at the age of 11, his father deferred to community notions about problem children and had his son committed for a year to a reformatory, St. Patrick's Catholic home for boys. Although late 20th century society has concluded that such institutions are as likely to contribute to delinquency as to correct it. Thanks, Doyle. That's great. uh, Wallace claimed that he (laughs) profited from the time at St. Patrick's. Uh, I got to know boys who are mainly from the slums. This is a quote from uh, Wallace. They were in there for arson, for theft, for incorrigible mooching and all kinds of (laughs) petty crimes. But me, to me, they were just like other boys, good ones, practically no vicious ones and ones with all kinds of promise. Uh, So that also gives you just a look at (laughs) the extremely wholesome worldview of Joe Wallace. Uh, In school, he was apparently known for being good at speaking and writing. He became a, a political orator. And he got really interested in politics pretty soon after. Um, So uh, a kind of interesting start. He was part of this uh, Catholic reformatory um, all the way back to his youth, uh, but still kind of held this optimism about the human spirit and uh, the working class or people from disadvantaged, you know, backgrounds.
0: That sounds about right. I have no idea what incorrigible mooching (laughs) is, but it doesn't doesn't sound that bad. Dad, dad,
1: Um, give me that money, dad.
0: (laughs) buy me the legos <laughs> um yeah okay so uh he he was a writer he was a speaker he was becoming interested in politics um <laughs> he kind of like fell in with the liberals in halifax nova scotia where he was um and uh there's this really funny i don't know uh doyle puts puts this transition from from being sort of like a liberal uh to um a communist this very sort of funny story again which highlights just the the wholesomeness of of wallace in general so i'll i'll read doyle here again because it's too good by 1919 his interest in radical politics had been further inspired by the russian revolution during his speeches at political meetings he found himself heckled by leftists but instead of trying to blast them or knock them down He'd say, you're certainly right. And the effect of that was that they came to me afterward with pamphlets. <laughs> In 1920, he resigned from the liberals to join the socialist Halifax Labor Party, which subsequently which subsequently affiliated with the Providence-wide organization, uh, then with the National Canadian Labor Party. Um, so this is so funny because it's just like <laughs> giving speeches, getting heckled by, by the Bernie bros or well, whoever, right. you know. And then he's just like, yeah, good point. You're right.
1: <laughs> I love too that. They're like so surprised that they come to him with pamphlets afterwards. <laughs> like you have to imagine they did not expect to be told they were right from the stage.
0: Yeah, I'm I find. uh Yeah, I resonate a lot with this. I'm not a super argumentative person. And I feel like if someone just points out how I'm wrong, I'll usually just agree with them. <laughs> and uh this would be me. This is
1: this is how easy it is to, to, to persuade me to join to join your communist party. Yeah, good point. Uh, yeah, so historically at that time, um, the Communist Party of Canada wasn't around yet in 1919. Not quite. Uh, so the Canadian Labour Party was one among several other groups that were kind of you know feeding into what would become the communist movement. And soon after that, he becomes a communist, uh, even down to the point of ending up in what would become the Communist Party. So uh, kind of rushing through here, but there's a lot that we still have to get to. (laughs) Uh, Doyle puts it this way. In 1922, the Labour Party affiliated with the newly formed Workers' Party of Canada. The Workers' Party of Canada was the public front of the Communist Party of Canada, which at its inaugural meeting in 1921 had been established as a clandestine organization in accordance with current policy of the Communist International. Wallace's career as a communist writer now began in earnest when he became a regular contributor of poems, news items, and editorials to the party's national weekly newspaper, The Worker. So he's starting to uh, already have a a sort of institutional shift. He's thrown in with the communists by 1922. Um, Also a pretty important year, right? Because stuff in the Soviet Union is really starting to settle down in the 20s. Or at least like, you know, (laughs) they're not fighting the Civil War like they were. um, or Things are starting to chill out there. Uh, The communist movement is really energizing around the world. Um, So it's a big deal that he enters the party kind of in the midst of all that.
0: Yeah, totally. A couple decades later, um, Canada passed the War Measures Act, which is not great. It allowed for communists to be imprisoned. So there you go. Joe Wallace was detained and moved around in the early 40s. Although in his 50s and suffering health problems, Wallace was defiant in captivity. On the occasion of an inspection of a camp by a British official, the commandant referred to the prisoners in Wallace's hut as enemy aliens. And then Wallace said, we're not enemy aliens. Um, were Canadian (laughs) anti-fascists good one Uh, for his alleged breach of discipline he was put in solitary confinement sparking inmate protests which let which ended only when soldiers were called in and given orders to shoot if the protesters did not disperse his first volume of poetry uh, night is ended was then released in 1942 the same year he was released from prison so um, you know it's not just like Joe Wallace was like I don't know a part of a a party that wasn't like important, but you know, it was a dangerous party. It was one that was, you know, thought of to be so dangerous that they were arrested. Um, So I don't know, I guess it just kind of lends some texture to the political credentials of Joe Wallace, that he is a communist and one that was willing to go to jail for it. Um, but also a Catholic and one who was willing to remain a bachelor <laughs> for it. <laughs> right. I don't know. Like, you know, these, these things are um, important and I, and it, it's important that we kind of like balance them out, so that you can see that he's committed in both ends. You know, it's not just like one or the other. It's not, you know, uh, one is farce and one is serious, but they're both like these serious parts of his lives that he's like willing to really put up about.
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I really like to that. He's in the prisons when he's in his fifties, uh, which is, you know, probably not a great time, not how you want to spend your time in prison. Uh, and, you can imagine all kinds of people in their fifties probably wouldn't want to be in prison and uh, you could do all kinds of things to not land yourself in solitary confinement. Uh, But the fact that Joe Wallace was like, you know, standing up for what they believe in and not being willing to be uh, labeled an enemy alien or something like that, but really making it clear uh, why they were in prison, I think is a big deal. Um, And the fact that he's an orator and trying to stir up all these other prisoners, which did end up happening, I think is really, you know, a testament to his commitment to the cause. Um, Most people when they're in their fifties are thinking about like retirement in a decade. And uh, Wallace is in prison thinking about how he needs to speak up for anti-fascism in Canada, which I think is a really kind of moving portrait as funny as it kind of is.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, apart from that, um, you know, there's a lot more to his life. Uh, It is, you know, an entire life. So it's hard to get through, uh, in its entirety, but here's a few more of like the greatest hits of Joe Wallace's life. So, okay. He was released from prison in 1942 In 1950, uh, sort of like the mid fifties, I guess he was known as like a really prominent communist creative writer in 55, he retired from work and he dove into writing full time. And then, uh, in 57 he ended up touring the Soviet union and the people's Republic of China. In the '60s, the early '60s, he lived in Russia, and that's interesting. In '66, there's this interesting story about how he was invited by the Soviet government as a guest on a summer cruise <laughs> in recognition of his fame overseas. Love it. <laughs> that's like the uh, <laughs> that's like the uh, the equivalent of like the the podcast cruises that people go on these days. <laughs> uh, you go, you can go see Travis McElroy on us on this podcast cruise, but in 1966, you go see Joe Wallace on the Soviet the Soviet the cruise. Soviet poetry cruise. <laughs> that's right with john hodgman uh in 1968 he uh he moves to a retirement home in vancouver and in 1975 he dies in vancouver so um oh it's probably also worth saying too that before he retired he was a factory worker um and that kind of drove him closer to you know identifying with the proletariat and that whole kind of thing um but so a writer a factory worker a poet all these things uh he toured the soviet union he lived in russia cruise it was great and then in Vancouver and that's kind of where his story ends um yeah I don't know that's his life in a nutshell I mean not enough to do it justice for sure um we'll we'll post this uh this Doyle article and you guys can read it for yourselves if you really want to um but before we move on to kind of some of the criticism and aesthetic thought behind uh Joe Wallace's work I thought we could probably read another um poem yeah that sounds great this one's called "The Bridge." A Catholic by faith, a communist by conviction, and I see no final contradiction. My worries are of another sort. In both respects, I have fallen short, and so, because of my double guilt, the bridge between us is still not built. Not mine alone, alas, but others. My guilt is shared by both my brothers. Um, so, pretty clear what this is about. <laughs> there's no like, uh, there's no um, you know like deep metaphor or uh, or vague meaning. It's just like, look, I'm a Catholic, I'm a communist not done great at both at sometimes um the bridge between them is not built um and it's the the my guilt is shared by both my brothers is kind of an interesting line too the the brothers of Catholicism and communism uh together they haven't they haven't been able to bridge the gap and uh i don't know interesting way to work out um the the marxist christian dialogue in a short poem that
1: rhymes a lot. <laughs> yeah i actually like this poem a lot because uh it is very short but some of the lines are just I don't know, maybe they just resonate with me because I feel sort of seen in a certain way. Uh, but that line where he says right in the beginning, uh, Catholic by faith, communist by conviction, I see no final contradiction. Uh, and then he says, my worries are of another sort in both respects I've fallen short. I love that because it's like, Well, yeah, there's, I I don't know. People think there are contradictions between Catholics and communists, not me. Uh, What I'm really concerned about is like how I haven't really lived up to both of these uh, demands or commitments. Um, That's the thing that keeps me up, you know, not, not where these two are apart, but where I haven't been able to, uh, you know, be faithful to both of them, I think is a really uh, moving kind of portrait and uh, a unique perspective.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, so you've heard two of his poems. And uh, I mean, you know, he wrote a lot. There's a lot more that you could read. But these are pretty illustrative of kind of his style, I think. Right. Like that they rhyme. (laughs) That's the big thing. (laughs) They they got a rhyme, which is fine. I don't have any problems with that. But um, they, you know, sometimes are sometimes are interesting, sometimes have like, you know, some cool meaning and sometimes are a little bit corny. Um, That's kind of the big vibe, though, that a lot of critics have come away with as well. One of the more uh, well-known critics of his poetry is Northrop Frye, sort of a literary uh, critic uh, who taught at the University of Toronto. There's a good statue of him sitting on a bench (laughs) out there somewhere. I saw it once. (laughs) Um, Yeah, anyways, Northrop Frye has a lot to say about Wallace's poetry. And um, Northrop Frye, I don't know. I don't have a lot of things to say about him. But um, I think he's kind of right, but also a little bit too serious about it. Uh, Northrop Frye says this, or I guess this is Doyle's relating this is Doyle relating Northrop Fry's criticism. Uh, Northrop Fry described the poetry of All My Brothers, which is um, uh, this is from a Joe Wallace poem, as written in a familiar communist idiom, sometimes labored, especially in the Yankees go home passage, sometimes corny, but sometimes clear and precise, driving much of its strength from the sheer intensity of the Marxist view of the capitalist world. Okay, so this is Northrop Fry. You know, okay. Sometimes it's corny. Sometimes it's not. Um, but listen, it's Marxist and it tells you that (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: right. Um, Yeah, that's true. And I mean, it's true that uh, sometimes the poetry is labored and sometimes it is corny. Uh, But those moments really shine through, I think, when he's giving you that Marxist analysis. And it leads me to think of another thing that um, Fry said that's drawn out by Doyle as well. Um, So Fry reviewed a a later book of poetry called High Sister, High Brother by uh, Joe Wallace. And he says, um, the book looks at first like naive verse, but at a second glance indicates that a skillful and astute versifier is only pretending to write naive verse. And I think this is actually like a very good insight into what Joe Wallace is up to. Uh, Joe Wallace really apprenticed himself to 19th century uh, poets. um, Whereas many other Marxist poets like, I don't know, Pablo Neruda or Bertolt Brecht or other people were kind of experimenting with new forms. And like we talked about last week, Ernesto Cardinal had this sort of modernist drive uh Wallace really went in the other direction but I like this idea that while well, he's apprenticed himself to that tradition and he knows it very very well uh but he's pretending to write naively in a way that I don't know tries to draw people in and then every once in a while he just like hits you with a certain line uh and I think that is like I, I don't know it it rings true in my reading of Wallace's poetry and I think it's good for Fry to recognize that subtlety in Wallace's work.
0: Yeah, I think so too. Um the the pretending to write naive verse is a really confusing statement to me i don't know like why why is it pretending to write that what if it is naive verse but sometimes naive verse is just good i don't know <laughs> i think it's like a it's just to me it seems like a convoluted way of saying something but that's fine north fry is smarter than me <laughs> um yeah uh well here's some some more from uh milton acorn uh another of the critics here um so this is uh this is doyle picking up acorns criticism of wallace uh wallace's failure to achieve fame was his own damn fault milton acorn complained (laughs) he he published good poems some stunning ones but many so bad they made readers never wish to hear from him again acorn was not strictly accurate about wallace's failure since he had achieved fame abroad but his neglect in canada was certainly attributable in part to his lack of self-criticism His failure to achieve recognition from Canadian critics and other poets might also be attributable to his conviction that the most suitable poetic idiom for his purposes was to be found in 19th century verse. Most of his compositions employed the closed forms favored by his 19th century poetic masters. His favorite rhythm was a simple and almost metronomically regular iambic tetrameter. His poems were usually arranged in AABB or ABAB, rhyming quatrains, He did disperse the other meters and rhyme schemes throughout his work, and once or twice even Paris came close to free verse, (laughs) but he never thought of poetic form as flexible material for experimentation. As he indicated in his preface to The Golden Legend, a book he wrote, he rejected most of the new literary fashions because he did not want to write for poets, critics, and professional intellectuals. His intended audience was the working class reader. And his poems deliberately recall the schoolroom verse that reformed the idea of poetry for several generations of such readers. Okay, that was kind of a long quote and uh, tricky for me to read in some places because <laughs> I'm not used to talking about poetry and tetrameter. But um, it's important because it gets kind of some of the aesthetic ideas behind Wallace's work out, right? It's, it is it um, is kind of corny and rhymy, and, you know also good, because it's not for people like Northrop Frye. It's for people who work in factories. It's for people who work elsewhere. Um, it's for people just to, you know, pick up and read and enjoy and not have to, like, you know, be in, not have to be Northrop Frye to kind of get into.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We just mentioned, I mentioned uh, Cardinal a moment ago, but it's interesting to compare this with Cardinal's theory of poetry because, uh, you know, Cardinal was doing this really... Uh, experimental thing. He was trying to do a documentary style of poetry that he thought kind of split the difference, I think, between really avant-garde, weird stuff, but also accessible stuff, right? Like Cardinal said, he wanted to write so that he could be read, so that people could understand what he was saying, but that didn't hold him back from uh, experimenting with poetry as a form. Uh, but Joe Wallace is kind of similar, right? He he writes poems that he wants people to be able to read, Uh, But as a result, he goes back to these uh, 19th century kind of uh, poetic um, strategies, because it's also, I don't know, like an easy thing to read, uh, even in terms of the rhythm, it gets stuck in your head, maybe it's easier to memorize or think about more. Um, Both of them are trying to write for average people, or, uh, you know, people for whom the revolution might be meaningful uh but they go in completely opposite <laughs> directions when it comes to thinking about how yeah. you should write poetry
0: you know and it's not altogether like wrong headed to to go that direction either i'm like i'm trying to think of like you know my my dad he was like a worker kind of guy He worked not in a factory, but something kind of like that. And um, if I asked him to read poetry, he'd be like, well, first, no. (laughs) Second, if I gave him poetry that was like Ernesto Cardinal, he'd be like, this doesn't even rhyme. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But here, at least that that part would be already kind of finished and done with. Um, So, you know, it uh, (laughs) maybe it it like uh, it hooks you in because you're expecting a rhyme. And there it is. Yeah.
1: That's true. And I mean, a lot of uh, Joe Wallace's poems are very funny. Like we've read a couple of the the religious ones for obvious reasons in the podcast, but he has like some really funny uh, poems just about, I don't know, like how rich people think and what they do or uh, poems about anti-imperialism or poems about uh, like presidents going to hell and like what the devil thinks about that. (laughs) And, you know, like he's trying to connect with a certain sensibility, like a, a regular not too heady kind of person who's also not an idiot like it's not that he's trying to condescend to the working class I think he's just trying to uh, be playful with the sorts of like you know media worlds that his peers would have been familiar with right like he dies in the 1970s so uh, this is a time when people would have read a lot of text and committed poems to memory as like a normal person <laughs> uh, so I think that is really fascinating too right that like Cardinal is trying to elevate people to the level at which um poetry would become more and more meaningful as as the people developed their spirit and their uh uh their artistic sensibilities, but um Wallace is trying to uh maybe provoke somebody to think differently or or meet them where they're at, and uh that would be uh accomplishing kind of a similar goal with a different strategy.
0: Yeah, I guess I want to make it clear too that um joe wallace was not condescending right he wasn't like sort of stooping down to like you know write something for the people because like the things that he would some of the things they would write you know were like really smart and clever too um one of the poems that's in the uh the joe wallace poem book is called prayer of the employer and it is very funny and very sarcastic um i'll just read the first bit it's kind of longer so i won't read it all but it, it goes like this god bless the bull weevil without it cotton would be so abundant the price would be rotten and here's to the sawfly that ruins our wheat and keeps us from starving from too much to eat. Many thanks to the fires that daily rise and burn up the surplus of building supplies. So you get the kind of idea, right? That here it's like um, God bless all these things that go wrong in the workplace. Um, they might they make like you know workers' lives hell, but for the employer, it's very good because it you know creates scarcity or uh, or whatever else you know. So. Um, All I'm trying to say is that he's not like trying to dumb down some ideas. He's like writing very clever things that um, workers are capable of understanding, I think. So, yeah,
1: it's good. That's right. I mean, it's political education. No doubt about that. Um,
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it's I mean, political education and it's propaganda in like the best way. Right.
1: Yeah. The last uh, few sections of that poem uh, we should read, too, because they kind of drive this home. Uh, He ends that poem saying, but despite all disasters that aid our enjoyment, we overproduce and cause unemployment. So down on our knees, let us pray for a war that will help some make millions and kill millions more. Uh, so again, you know, a, a troubling sort of parody of how bosses think, uh, but an important one because that is actually how bosses think or how capitalism uh, needs you to think, right? And to mm-hmm. to be able to communicate that in a way that's accessible uh, through poetry, um, you know, whether it's effective or not, I don't really know. Apparently, nobody in Canada knew who he was, but <laughs> it seems like a good strategy to me anyway.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, actually, it reminds me a lot of um, Utah Phillips has like a song poem um, called The Boss. Oh, that's yeah. It's really famous kind of in the IWW, um, I don't know, milieu, but basically it's a, a really similar type of, um, similar type of idea, but it's um, like from... Instead of it, instead of being the prayer of the employer, this is like the, the prayer to the boss from the worker. And it's, uh, but, but similar sort of tongue in cheek using religious language to pull out like, why is this so stupid that we think this way? And it's cool.
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Utah Phillips is a good analog here also because Utah Phillips is also very silly and naive and goofy, but not without sacrificing a good critical edge that makes you think. Yeah, that's right. It's almost like these things kind of pull your guard down in a way, Uh, like you're reading the the rhymes and you're like, ah, this is kind of a cute rhyming thing that I'm reading. And then all of a sudden you're like, whoa, capitalists make a lot of money off of war. (laughs) Like it disarms (laughs) you in an interesting way.
0: Yeah, definitely. So not all of the uh, criticism that uh, Joe Wallace got was bad. (laughs) Uh, Here's a few more uplifting pieces that pull out why Joe Wallace is good. In fact. Um, so this is a quote from Barker Fairley, who painted Joe Wallace's portrait in 19, 1957. Um Barker Fairley says, not that he was a great genius, but he stood for something, which is not a bad thing in a poet. <laughs> <laughs> if I I'll take it. I mean, if someone ever said that about me, it'd be fine. It'd be good enough. <laughs> um, okay. Uh also a positive um i guess sort of positive at least uh this is again from the doyle article he was a fan he was a fanatic about rhyme in a day when most poets were a fanatic about not rhyming acorn observed back to milton acorn uh not only did he deny poems which didn't rhyme he thought something was necessarily a poem if he managed to rhyme it (laughs) me too (laughs) i agree i love that uh yeah so Such an obsession with rhyming could make Wallace's work sound like a parody of amateurism, a mere recitation of discursive lines wrenched into rhyming shapes. Uh, All of these, (laughs) all of the critics go out of their way, though, to be like, listen, he just sounds like he's he just sounds naive, which is like a really kind way of saying that. But (laughs) I mean, it's true. It is true that he's not, you know, he's a master of a, a particular type of poetry um that he like is very you know learned of and he knows a lot about it but it's funny that they just have to keep reiterating like this sounds like he doesn't know what he's doing
1: yeah i mean i love it because he's like uh this guy is the dad joke of communist poets
0: yeah that's right <laughs> like you someone's hate, gotta do it
1: you hate dad jokes but every once in a while you hear one and you're like well that one's pretty good though <laughs>
0: You hate propaganda, but every now and again, you're like, yeah, this one's a good one.
1: Well, let me read uh, one of my favorite poems, and we can talk about that a little bit as we sort of come up to the end here. Um, Mm -hmm. So this is uh, a poem called Do You Believe in Man? Uh, Here's what he says. But when they got to heaven, to their astonishment, there was Nikolai Lenin, and right in his element, finding there the classless world that filled his life with fire from every man the best he has to each his heart's desire. Lenin, in his leisure hours does the things he'd like. Stops and swaps a rebel yarn with his friend St. Mike. Each one telling in his turn it doesn't matter which. The hot foot he gave Lucifer, the burns rush to the rich. And when they have a round or two if Mike begins to prod. By slyly asking Nikolai if he believes in God. Lenin on the table spreads the latest five-year plan. And just as slyly asks St. Mike, do you believe in man? Ah, I love it. It's
0: perfect. That's a good one, though. It's a great poem. That's a good one. <laughs> it's cool. Um, it's cool and clever and good and it rhymes. And those are the <laughs> things I need in a poem.
1: That's great. Uh, I like this poem a lot for a lot of reasons. Uh, but that end just hits uh, the, the rest of the notes so well, I feel. Um, that idea that uh, you know it's uh, Michael the Archangel and Lennon hanging out in a bar and they're drinking and uh, <laughs> Michael the Archangel asks Lenin if he believes in God while they're in heaven is also already like a very funny scene and then uh, Lenin putting out like a big blueprint of like the economic planning of heaven and asking uh, Michael the Archangel if he believes in the power of humanity is just such like a perfect image. Uh, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm just like I feel seen here or something. But that just feels like what's happening in my brain all the time
0: <laughs> yeah the same thing is happening in my brain but also they're both naked because they're
1: in they're right 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 of course of course and they're both uh tiny they're both little babies fat babies cherubs
0: that's right cool well what do you think we can take away from from joe
1: wallace and all of his very good poetry um well I think a few things, as I thought more about Joe Wallace this week, uh, I feel, first of all, I think it's cool that he really throws down the gauntlet about sort of mixing uh, what you might call low culture or um, accessible arts with uh, really profound ideas, like pulling together politics and religion in a way that actually communicates something pretty unique, I think, and really significant. That's very cool. Uh, and also the fact that these poems are done in such a almost formulaic way and with such an accessible um, uh feeling to them i think is encouraging too because the idea that joe wallace is sort of expressing is like anybody can write a poem about the working class uh all you got to do is write a b a b on a of line paper and like you're off to the races <laughs> just make them rhyme and you've got it you've got a poem they can they can suck <laughs> Northrop fry will tell you uh they suck but every once in a while there's one that's very good uh and i love that <laughs> like that makes me feel confident that maybe i will one day write a poem <laughs>
0: That's right. Usually bad, but sometimes totally inspired is great. Um, I agree. I think that's cool. It's definitely a different approach to um, the creation of political art than Ernesto Cardinal. It's not creating a new human, right? It's not creating a new society necessarily. It's definitely like, I don't know, it's making something, though, that is on the way. Like, uh, you know, it's, it's the bridge that maybe you're not going to live up to, but it's, uh, it's on the way to the new society.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, too, to think of this as Joe Wallace is writing poetry uh, in a society that is not even close to a revolutionary moment in Canada. Right. Uh, Yeah. And he's going to other societies, right? He lives in Russia for a couple of years. He's aware of uh, where it has happened, but like he's thinking about Canada and he dies in Canada. And that is a very different context than writing poetry in a place like Nicaragua, even before and after the revolution. And it makes me Mm -hmm. wonder, you know, how much of that is also really important to think through when you consider maybe the differences between someone like Wallace and Cardinal, like why they would feel motivated to write in the way that they did. Yeah, totally. That's a good point. I did it Um, (laughs) in uh, the next couple of weeks, we are going to have some real life poets to come on the show and tell us uh, actually meaningful (laughs) information about the connections between poetry and Marxism and Christianity. Uh, But hopefully this has been kind of a helpful foundation or groundwork for it. Thinking about these two poets, Cardinal and Wallace. Uh, I don't know, Matt, what are you, is there anything that you like are super pumped (laughs) about thinking about with respect to poetry?
0: Like I said last week, I don't know a ton about poetry and um I'm uh terribly underread in that area. But um learning about sort of the um yeah, like the political and the pedagogical parts of poetry I think are really interesting. You know, for Cardinal it was like imagining a new world that you could live in now that the revolution has like happened there. And for Wallace it's like um, you know, giving uh, a type of political education to workers uh through the means of poetry. I think that's a really cool thing. Um both are propagandistic in a way, and I think that's really interesting. I think propaganda's good. <laughs> and uh and in the in the form of poetry, I think it's particularly powerful. So I'm into it. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, I guess we'll come around to it all again next week.
1: Thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the Magnificast. You can find us on Twitter at the Magnificast there as well. We're on Facebook. We have a group called the Magnificast Basement. Uh, Let me think. Oh, dang. We should have mentioned this at the top of the episode. Maybe we'll mention it again later. But Sarah New, uh, who's been on the show in the past, wrote a neat article at Religion and Politics, where she mentions our podcast and other Christian socialists. Um, So many thanks to Sarah, and you should read that article if you haven't. Uh, Our music is, as always, by Amoria Armstrong, and our outro is by The Illogical Spoon. See you next week. Heaven come to earth and there
0: won't be no church We'll meet down by the riverside There we'll swim with all creation Never get tired, never bored Don't worry, someday there'll be no damn Between us and our
1: Lord Jackson, keep your hoods up Keep your hoods up And you stay up late Jackson, you keep your hoods up. Well, you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind it cold nights,
0: but we might mind.